Hi, welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. I'm Dave Pryor, and in the podcast today, we've got an interview with Russ Pena, who's an enterprise transformation consultant here at Leading Agile. To give you a little background about Russ, he's a certified business analyst practitioner, a business architect, and a published author. In the work that Russ does, he focuses heavily on the Agile portfolio, and in the podcast, we're going to talk about the topic of how you understand value and how you manage the portfolio to optimize value across the organization. So we recorded the interview right before New Year's Eve, and that's an explanation for why you're going to hear us talking about the misuse of eggnog. Um, It's not that we sit around drinking eggnog all day long, although there's nothing wrong with that if that's your thing. Before we get started, I do have two things I want to mention. The first is that we've set up a special email address where listeners of our podcast can send in questions related to Agile transformation or the practice of Agile in general. If you've got a question, just send an email to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. We'll feature your question in an upcoming podcast where a few of our enterprise transformation consultants will join me to discuss the question, they'll offer their take on it, and present some of the types of things they normally see when working with clients who face similar issues. Along the way, they'll also offer strategies and tips you can take back to work that will help you address whatever challenges you're facing. So whatever the question is, whether it's about the basics of how Agile works or something a little more off the beaten path, just send it to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. The second thing I want to mention is that we've set up a special discount code for our podcast listeners who are interested in attending one of our upcoming CSM or CSPO classes. You can find a list of all our upcoming classes by going to leadingagile.com slash training. We're currently doing classes in Atlanta, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and San Jose. So just find a class you'd like to attend, and when you register, enter the discount code SOUNDNOTES to get 10% off the list price. So again, leadingagile.com slash training. Enter the discount code SOUNDNOTES and you'll get 10% off the list price. Now, onto the podcast. Hi, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome back to the podcast. Russ Pena has taken some time out of his holiday schedule, and we're going to talk about some of the work that Russ does, how it pertains to the portfolio, how we look at value, and a couple other things that he's working on. So, Russ, thank you for taking time out of your holiday celebrating for the for the interview today. It's my pleasure. I, 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 I got to admit, though, I'm already uh, two cocktails in. <laughs> you said like half on the bag. It's New yeah. Year's Eve. It's not no, New Year's I'm, Eve. It's I'm early kidding. in the day. So if you, <laughs> you know, whatever you're doing at home with your eggnog on your own time is your own business. That's right. That's right. All right. So the reason that we're going to talk today is because that Russ has a very specific focus in the work that he does. So can you, Russ, explain a little bit about kind of what your background is and, and what drives you with the work that you're doing, like what you're, what you're trying to fix. Yeah. So um, I, I, I work uh, obviously with you at leading agile, as you mentioned, and, and my specialty is really helping organizations to build out product and portfolio management um, teams. I'm not even going to say office because we're used to the traditional PMO. And so that's uh, really aligning product to value is my goal when I when I step into organizations, either technology or non-technology. Okay, so this is a great place to start because the one of the biggest struggles that I always have is you say value is important. How do you help the company decide what value is? Like how if if I meet somebody off the street at company X and like, well, we're all about value. What does that mean? Yeah. Value uh, is is you know very subjective term and it's different for every organization because every every organization has a slightly different product offering and so how, what I say value uh, when I go in and I and I preach the fundamentals of value what I what I'm really saying is we're going to look at our at our product what it is we're we're trying to to get out into the marketplace 
and we're going to prioritize the type of work that we're doing uh, to enhance it or to bring on you know on board something. Um, we're gonna we're gonna prioritize it, and we're gonna ensure that it's agreed to by a product executive or someone that champions that. So value, again, is, is very different in the eyes of every organization, uh, but it's having conversation around, is this, is what we're doing, what we're trying to get to market, is it going to move the needle for our organization? Okay. So, th- so it's, I guess, to a certain extent, everybody's going to have their own different version of what value means or their own guess. Yeah, but my job is to go in and help organizations to take a look at the product offerings that they currently have or something that they want to bring on board um, to align it to a capability and ensure that that, you know, that we do capability mappings for the organizations uh, across the enterprise and to ensure that all of those map back to a strategy so the value is is really twofold. Is is it is it is it viable and is it consumable in the marketplace? And is it a value to the organization to invest in enhancing or bringing on a, a, this a, this product delivery that we're talking about? Okay. So before I want I want to save capability mapping for a little bit, but can I try to summarize this and tell me if I have this sort of more or less straight or where I'm off. So at the organization, you've got the strategic decisions that are made. The the higher ups decide this is the direction we want to take the company in and and our projects and our products and everything should kind of follow that, that line of thinking. So then with every idea somebody has, the question becomes, does this thing line up with the strategic goals that we have? Is this thing going to be valuable and at that point, the decisions, whatever metrics, however you're quantifying value, it is a guess because you don't really have any way of knowing until after you've let the horse out of the barn. Yeah, that's why we, you know, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes and, and, and no to that. Okay. <laughs> the, the yes part is we, we know enough about our, our strategy, hopefully, and, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about why that's very difficult in most organizations, but uh, strategy, and we know a little bit about uh, our, our investment themes, and we should be able to have a, a backlog of, of prioritized value, uh, you know, work in progress that's going to allow me to just get a little bit out into the market to see if what I'm trying to deliver actually is is going to sell or be consumed. And if not, then we have the, we have the constant conversation at the portfolio level around cut, kill, continue. So okay. do I want to cut what I'm doing because it's just enough now? Do I want to continue as is or do I want to kill it because it's just not bringing the value that we thought? So when you say cut, you don't mean that's not kill. That's not stop. That is, we've reached the tipping point on this. Like adding more behind this is not going to push us that much further or further enough that it's worth continuing to add more steam to this. Yeah, that's right. Or do we, or do we even want to change direction? We want to continue with this product development, but we're going to, we're going to modify it just slightly. So does that experimental, I mean, we'll talk about innovation in a little while too, but that the experiments, the ways of measuring, does that have to be presented along with the, here's X, this thing that I want us to build. 
you know, I also have to say, here's how we're going to test it. Here's how I will know if it passed. Almost like a test-driven development approach to creating new products. Yeah, I want to have some acceptance criteria associated with my product and my features associated with it. And so I'm, I'm going to test it incrementally along the way. And by the way, I'm operating in very short increments around my delivery so that, you know, I'm, if, I, if I'm, I'm, you know, going at a two or three week span of, of incremental delivery, product delivery, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really not wasting a whole lot of organizational money right. by, you know, in that two or three week period by adjusting my, my outcome. Yeah. You've got this short time container. You can only burn through so much cash in that short amount of time. So even if the thing does completely fail, you can at least cut the bleeding before it gets too bad. That's right. As opposed to, you know, my, my, my experience with very, very large organizations and uh, project management offices where we incent project manage, managers to be on time, on budget, and not value. So we don't talk, we don't have the value conversation. What we say is, if you come in on time, on budget, on your project, well, we're going to incent you, we're going to give you a nice bonus, even if what we're delivering in the 17 months, which is the, the last organization I came from, 17 months once was their, uh, their typical delivery cycle for a product, in 17 months, I've burned through a lot of cash. And when I implement, it, it could, that could be a disaster. Right. So one of the, I think one of the challenges in that model, that traditional model, is that by the time you realize this thing is bad, we've already spent so much money, it's kind of hard to stop without completely looking like we've totally, you know, crapped well, the that- bed. Yeah, for lack you're of right. a more delicate way yeah. of saying it. But- yeah, and 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 you know what? That's that's a that's a great way to put it because frankly, I've seen a lot of project managers, I've seen a lot of um, senior leaders crap the bed and then lay in it because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to expose right. the fact that they've done that because we spent so much on this bed. <laughs> yeah, we spent so much on this. Yeah, and I do not want my senior executives. To know that that this this is you know it's a it's a a smelly it, bed. It's a smelly bed. It's crappy yeah. seats, you know, okay. and and uh, uh, so so yeah. so then at the at this shorter time scale, one of the things that I the skeptic in me wonders if if I'm designing experiments, if I'm saying, well, I want to test this thing, and I've you know read Eric Reese's book, and I'm going to have this special way of assessing it. I guess there's a part of me that wonders if people aren't going to create experiments, you know, that are the the equivalent of the developer who writes code and then builds a test to prove that his code does what it does. If they're going to have experiments that prove that their product does what they want it to do, and it does, I mean, is there anybody who's got to be sort of the objective watcher of this stuff? Yeah, uh, absolutely. There has to be. We, you know, that is it's very interesting that you mentioned this too because. I was I was thinking about this earlier today, uh, you know the difference in racy versus rapid, which is you know you're you're really sort of a matrix about what who's responsible, sure. for accountable, consulted, informed, and in the rapid model they have a decision maker, and and that's kind of critical, and I, I've I've I found it to be really a um, sort of an enlightening role 
and and what what how I how I typically tie these together is your product executive, the person who champions this. There there has to be dialogue in in you know more of a group setting about the, the folks that are impacted by this. And usually at the portfolio team level, you know, we have somebody that has the ability to, to, you know, to kill something because it's just simply not bringing in value. I can think of a client uh, a, a few, you know, a few clients ago where, you know, this particular solutions engineer at the portfolio level would just bulldog their product through because they felt like, there was going to be a, a greater value than there actually was. And so what you have to do is, is ensure that your business case is appropriate. There has to be some, some data associated with it. And then we have to continually be, be sort of reaching back around in that investment validation loop to, to understand the feedback. So that's a really good example because there are, I mean, every company's got that guy. Like the guy that can, or sorry, I should say person who can just jam this thing through the system and they're, you know, they're right, they're sure, they're going to make it happen. They're like totally alpha male or alpha person, I guess I should say. Um, yeah, that offends me, Dave. Sorry. <laughs> let, me, let me back up a second. So, <laughs> so every, take two. Every company's got that guy or that person <laughs> who can who can just jam this thing through the system and find a way to get it through because they're so sure of themselves and there's a lot of bravado or a lot of, you know, bullying might be a strong word, but they manage to get the thing, you know, through the, the system by banging down whatever walls they have to. Yeah. And, they and you're like- advocating for like a murder board whose job is to stand there and be like, Hey, stop, buddy. We don't care. We're going to look at this thing objectively and we may kill it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And, and, you know, people are passionate about what they believe in and especially, you know, especially somebody who's highly invested, long-term employee, you know, really, really feels strongly about a particular product, it's, it, it becomes really clear that we have to go in into these portfolio teams with, with you know, really more data than anecdotal sort of decision-making. Um, here's, here's, here's another example about, you know, a salesperson can go out and sell something. I'll, I'll use software as an example and, and sweet talk an organization into a product that, um, that they, they know doesn't necessarily offer the types of things that, that the consumer really wants, but it may be on the product roadmap. And then what they do is they scramble when they get back in and say, Hey, this is a, you know, $2 million deal. So this becomes a priority, right? That's, that's bad decision-making. Uh, what we, what, what needs to happen is then somebody from a, you know, an executive from the sales organization needs to be on point at the portfolio team level so that that type of thing doesn't happen. We hold someone's feet to the fire because again, that's not, that's not, just because that salesperson said this, you know, this is a two million dollar deal, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the the number one priority for the organization. Well, and if the deal doesn't happen, it's usually somebody else's fault and not theirs. True. But I'm, I guess I'm also wondering, like, 
in a lot of organizations, there's the guy that fancies himself to be like the Steve Jobs. And he's got these great ideas and he knows what people want, even though they've never seen it and they have no idea that they want it, right? It's it's the iPod. It's a thousand songs in your pocket when you're totally happy with your your traditional old MP3 player. Um, and until you get it, you don't know, right? But now we're talking about in an organization where you've got this guy, this innovator, Maverick, whatever he is, there's this other group. And this group, you have to create a social culture or a construct or some level of governance where they're able to see that the most important thing they can do is to say no. I mean, it's like it's like a product owner on a strategic portfolio level, right? Because their job is to stop the stuff that even though we may all want to do it, it's not the right thing to do. So I, I, I'm going to say two things here. The first is I fancy myself because I am a compact disc Walkman <laughs> type of innovator. No, I'm kidding. I, I um, got my mixtapes going. I got my mixtapes going. That's right. Eight tracks, baby. Uh, so you're, you're right about the culture. Um, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to fall back to, you know, one of, one of the, there's three basic tenets that I always go into an organization with it's clarity, accountability, and showing measurable progress. Okay. What you're talking about is clarity, and the clarity is this. The portfolio team understands that I have delivery teams that are able to commit to only so much work. And so we have this priority of, of, of work backlog, and if somebody comes in and says, you know, I, I have the next greatest thing that's going to make us a, a trillion dollars, then the the team has to get together and say, well, given the, the, the demand that's in progress today, is it worth going ahead and cutting that and, and working on this other item, which is typically very, a very expensive thing to do? So that the portfolio team, really, it's, it becomes in there, it's, it's part of the culture in order to say, yep, we can, can yeah, let's, let's move forward with that new fancy thing or no. The stuff we've got in progress right now needs to get completed and out into market. Which is, a, that's a huge thing. I mean, do you see that in play at that level in a lot of places? Sometimes I feel like when we talk about this stuff, it's like we're talking about we, what we want companies to be. But do you see some evidence of this in a lot of the places that, or some of the, or any of the places that you go? I absolutely do. Cool. And, I, and, and is, it, is it a difficult place to get to? Absolutely. Uh, and there's a, it's because it's a dynamic issue with, when it comes to people, right? What people understand over time is, hey, this, this, this portfolio level is very empowered. They get to say yes or no. They get to, you know, let folks continue on the path. They get to, to help change direction. I want to be there. But it's the, the, on the flip side, the product team are the folks that are really in sort of innovation mode because they they understand the product so intricately that they know the direction that it needs. So, that, so they're informing the portfolio team. And what happens is you get this odd dynamic where somebody really wants to sit both at the product and portfolio level. And that's, that's dangerous. That's yeah. risky. And that's what I see typically is finding people that can foster a product Finding a portfolio person who can stratify themselves to make decisions around value to the enterprise, 
and, and making those two roles very separate. It's also, I think, you know, the way you explain it, like you're the one who gets to make the go, no go decision. People see that as a positive thing until you're in a position where you have that power. And then it's like this axe that you don't want to pick up because it's such a heavy thing to have to deal with, like to say no. That's, no. it's not, it's, it always sounds really cool, but I think when you find yourself in those situations where you have that level of responsibility, it is a burden as much as a gift. Sure, it is. And then, folks. and the other thing too is to is to keep in mind that I always build in a uh, that that decisioning mechanism. So, for instance, if my if my portfolio team just can't agree together, they can't stack hands, then I want an executive leadership, you know, team that'll, that, that, and that's just a few folks. Uh, and, and I'll use, uh, you know, a couple of organizations ago, that was really their C-suite. And when we would get into a situation where we just couldn't decide what the right thing to do is, we went to the COO, the CEO, the, the chief of sales, the chief innovations officer, and we said, look, here's what we're struggling with. And they got to be the tiebreaker. Oh, so that's great. So there's this pyramid of decisioning that happens, but we, we, we do it based upon really clear as best possible data as we have at the moment. Because, we, we, you know, for something that's particularly innovative, we may not have a lot of data on it. Right. So even if you don't have a ton of data, at least you're looking at it with this sort of Vulcan-like objectivity as opposed to gut feeling. That's right. Okay, and you've got, and I'm assuming that that structure of how are we going to deal with it when we can't make a decision, you've got to have a lot of that in place up front because people know they can rely on it and trust it. Yeah, so, you know, before any item of demand gets into the funnel, into the pipeline for the, you know, for the, to, to consume the availability of my, of my resources, I need to have a, a business case, a sort of a justification around why we're going to go ahead and move in that direction. And not only that, I have to, I have to have a conversation with the other constituents within the portfolio team in terms of priority. What is there? Every organization needs to have a decision stack. Right. And that, and that decision stack, there's a lot of variables from, you know, really cool fandangle things at the top to, to what I call KTLO or keep the lights on activities. And, and if I, if I can take an item, a demand item, and I can slot it into that decision stack and tell the story, be able to to physically tell the story about why I'm going to do something then. And a lot of that's just conversation. A lot of that's just pulling together. And, and I think that is sort of critical. That's the key. Organizations just don't do it. All right, so you've talked about this decision stack, and I'm assuming that part of that is something you, you mentioned earlier, which is, do we actually have the ability to do this stuff? That's right. So how do, how do, they, how do you go about figuring that out? Because there's a way that you're approaching this stuff that is somewhat scientific as well, correct? That's correct. So we, when we do our capability assessment, we go in and we understand what, a, what an organization's capabilities are, and we start aligning those capabilities to strategic themes. Um, you know that that's going to give us our test on: is this something that we can even do? 
Um, does it, where does it fit into my capability grid from a heat map perspective, say, is this something that I, that we can even, we can even do? And if it is fantastic, is it something that we want to enhance or, or no, is it something that we want to onboard and we want to tell the story about why we want to bring it on? So how did, how did they, I mean, I've yet to run across a company that can you do this? It'd be like, no, they're all like, can you, can you fly? Absolutely. Whatever it is, they're going to figure out, they're going to believe that they can figure out a way to do it. Um, How do you help them understand whether something is realistic or not? Well, for me, you know, if, if it's, it's, again, it's, it's, it's pulling together as much data as we possibly can. If you're asking for anti-gravity, well, you know, it, it potentially could be done with a lot of money, a lot of investment. And, and so what I like to do is uh, I'll, I'll give a very specific example. Um, we, in my capability mapping, one of the things that uh, for a recent client that they wanted to do was they wanted to expand from, the, uh, from North America into, into Canada. And that wasn't a capability that they were able to do because of uh, medical coding differences and and so it was it was really having the conversation about what you know what is what's the value of bringing this to the organization versus enhancing say other parts of the types of capabilities that we have currently offering in in the Americas and and eventually it became part of their roadmap but it became part of a five year roadmap and it wasn't it, it wasn't a priority item as they had originally thought it was. Okay, so given time and money, it's fair to assume that almost anything's possible because you can hire, you can train, you can make adjustments, but there is a question about can we do this right now? That's right. Okay. And is it, and is it a value right now? I mean, Okay, it, worth going through the pain to get there right now. Is it worth going through the pain to get there? Uh, because again, in, in, in that particular example, the you know we we just made the determination that the technical debt associated with the existing product for that client far outweighed the of you know, fixing that far outweighed the benefit of investing into moving into another uh, another region so do you think that the further you go up the food chain with this stuff that the more optimistic people tend to become like, oh, yeah, that. we've got oceans of technical debt, but we'll take care of that on the weekends. Or, you know, the, I, there is the person who is like, you know, Scotty from Star Trek, who's always like, we can't, we can't, we can't. But there's always somebody up there like Kirk who's going, give it to me anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, and that's, that's, again, that's part of that culture shift of stopping that type of behavior saying, where where you you get these executives or VP levels that that are just constantly throwing uh, work at at the at a fixed capacity, and that's where the clarity comes in and the accountability of teams to say we have this much capacity, we have you know we've got this much work in progress. You need to tell me what I can take off the stack that we're currently working on to accommodate your this 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 thing that you're throwing at me to say get it done now. We just 
once you have that conversation around here's here's what our capacity is, here's what's the work in progress. If you stop this, here's what it's going to cost you for not getting it. And if we start this, here's what's going to cost you from a resource perspective for us to ramp up on it. So it seems to me like at a very, very fundamental level, this is the most massive thing that we're dealing with. Like I, I'm struggling to see how Agile would work or how innovation centers would work if we don't get to a point in any organization where they understand that when the captain calls engineering and says, give me more power, and, and Mr. Scott says, the dilithium crystals are going to shatter, captain, there's nothing left in them, that the captain should go, okay, or let's divert this other thing, forget about the people on deck five, they don't need oxygen, we need more power. Um, if you don't have trust in, if you don't have understanding of capacity and capability and trust within the organization that when somebody says, get the bucket, I'm stuffed, that that means don't bring him any more food, none of this is going to work. Is that right? You, you hit the nail on the head. Very well said. And, and, and I got Monty Python and Star Trek together. And you got Monty Python and Star Trek <laughs> together. It's, it's, and, and you always get that executive who says, it's waffle thin. Yeah, exactly. You can fit it in there. It's only waffle thin. So yes, yeah. And, and the reality is that your engine can only crank out so much with its, within its capacity. It's fixed. Uh, and, and so unless, unless we have the conversation about what can I, you know, what can I take off? What if I'm not going to power the headlights and I can, you know, drive around during the day and, 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 you know, have that capacity as part of my engine. Well, fine. But the conversation has to happen. So we've got to have, we've got to have clarity. We've got to have trust. We've got to have the ability to make smart decisions about, you know, what we're going to cut and what we're going to keep doing so that we can keep running these experiments. And it's got a, it's, there's a, there's a critical piece to this too, Dave, and it's, it's a cadence but I'll, I'll use a, I'll use an agile term. It's a cadence of ceremonies, you know. It's 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 continual backlog grooming. Even if you're not using agile, even if you're you know in some incremental delivery workshop that you know is, has is very waterfall driven, you you have to constantly be having these conversations. And and the problem with most organizations is they they get this investment pool of money. Um, at, at one organization I was at, it was between six and eight hundred million dollars a year, and that was the, that was the IT investment pool. And and they would have planning for for what they would you know for for their backlog of work a year in advance. And you and I both know that that's kind of ridiculous if you think about it, <laughs> because it's it's you know a year from now the things that we're talking about today may not make a whole lot of sense yeah. then. So, so the continual conversation, the continual portfolio purview into what is in the pipeline and the value that it's going to bring on the, on the, to its consumers on the outside and what's ahead of it. What are the things that, are, that, are, you know, that, that can't get into the backlog or into the pipeline be, because they're waiting for this particular feature function this capability to, to enhance to, to move through okay. looking at that constantly having that purview and that transparency in 
is is so critical to organizations, but they just simply don't think about it. So I want to kind of riff on that a little bit and ask you about something that I focus on in my product owner class. So one of the things, and see if you think this extends to the portfolio level. One of the things that I say in my CSPO class is it's really, really critical that a product owner or a product owner team have a a scientific a way as they possibly can get to of figuring out priorities so that if you come to me and say, damn it, I need this thing or I'm not going to get my bonus, that when I say no, it's not me saying no to Russ. It's there's criteria and this is how you scored and this is why you can't have it. Yeah. Because it takes the sting out. Now, you mentioned how important it is to constantly be grooming things at a, at a strategic and a you know portfolio level as well within the organization. How critical is it that there be a framework in place whereby everyone knows without with total clarity, this is where this thing ranks compared to the other stuff because this is how it hits on these different things? Yeah, it's very important that that occur. So again, when I mentioned the business case justification before on, on any new demand, I also know the classification in the decision stack of where things are in the, in the current pipeline that are being worked on today. And I, and I have a, a very clear understanding of the priority based upon the decision stack thought process. And, you know, it's actually a physical, in my mind, it's a physical number of, of that, 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 that shows on a leaderboard somewhere that here's the things that are in progress. Here's the things expected to be done soon. And here are the things that are just behind it. Here are the things that are, that are coming. And, and yeah, we may re-swizzle those things based upon new demand and, and having a conscious thought process around what is the most important thing to do, what is the most value item in the backlog. But it's, it's having that conversation and the insight into it. Yeah, cool. All right, so I want to ask you about one more thing. You talked earlier about um, developing the capability for product innovation. And this is something that has become very popular at a theoretical level. By now, everybody in management has read the Lean Startup book or they've watched Eric's talks on Google (laughs) and they all think they're experts in it and they all want to have it at the enterprise level. But that's not an easy thing for an organization, especially a larger enterprise level organization that's been around for a long time to stand up a a component that has that capability, that's not an easy thing to do. Well, it's, it's, yeah, I would even go as far as to say that it's nearly impossible. Um, so what's the answer then? The answer then is to, is to create a very well-established, if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to explore that space, you gotta, you gotta be very methodical about it. And that is you, you create a innovations lab that allows, you know, very, very neat, innovative types of things that can be worked on, and it's encapsulated into that team. And once once we get that prototypical innovative idea up and running and we say, yep, there's value, then it needs to be cast into the normal delivery channel so that it can be fostered and implemented along with everything else in the pipeline. So it really has to be its own pillar. In fact, I, I, I typically draw... For, for organizations, uh, you know, this portfolio management three-tiered structure. 
And that's portfolio teams at the top, product people in the center, and delivery teams at the bottom cranking the stuff out. When I'm talking to organizations about an innovations type of uh, organization that's that's really looking, I draw that as a as as a as a a column to the three rows of portfolio product and and delivery teams, and I draw it to the far left as a as a whole idea. It's, it's really their ideation funnel, and it's neat. It's it's innovative, but. Uh, it's it's one of those things where they can operate very quickly and understand if something's going to be of, of value. If it's not, they cut it and they move to something else. If it is, then they lob it up over the fence so that it's, again, fostered by the normal product delivery channel. So given what we'd been talking about then, it's almost like, it sounds to me like it's almost a separate business entity or treated as it like a black box and they create whatever they're going to create when they throw that stuff back over the wall, like here's this thing that we built, there's, I'm going to assume, still a strong chance that that murder board may be like, yeah, that thing's awesome, but yeah, we're not doing that. Very well could be. And if you have a, if you know, if your portfolio team is, again, very well informed and, and having the, that team accountability and clarity into the, the work in progress and the, uh, they, they have a purview into into everything that's that's being rationalized at the moment. They could make the decision. They could say, "Yeah, this let's let's remove this thing that's in progress because this is far greater." But that but again, it's the it's it's that portfolio level having that decision, having that decision empowerment, and having the product teams be able to be able to to tell the story about why that's important. Yeah, I, I guess so. The thing that I think is. So it makes it seem almost impossible and really cool at the same time is that it sounds like that innovation group has to find a way to maintain a level of sync with the actual strategic goals of the company, even though they're supposed to be thinking outside of the box. Um, and they also have to be constantly focused on destroying their own business so they can replace it with something better. That's right. Which because- is a hard dance to, I mean, that's, that's on the edge of the blade right there. You, you know, Stay in sync with what we are doing, but kill it at the same time. Well, I, for, I forget which book it was in that I read, but you know, it, it, again, if you're not thinking like that, if you're not thinking about how to kill your own business and be innovative and move on to the next thing, the, the guy down the street will do it for you. Right. So, so you have to be you have to be in that mode, and that's why it's very hard for large organizations because they've got this thing that they do well, and they want to you know they'll they'll continue it. You look at the financial industry; it's being it's the very foundation of the financial industry is being just absolutely shaken because there's new ways of, 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 of managing money. And, 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 you know, the traditional brick and mortar is, is it's knees are buckling because old banks just aren't, aren't, there's newer companies that are being far more innovative without all that traditional brick and mortar. And so where I'm going with this is, is, Yes, the, the organization needs to uh, that that uh, ideation and innovations organization needs to be its its own separate. It needs to be aligned. To, it needs to understand the, the strategies of the organization. Uh, it needs to understand what the thematic goals of an organization are. And you know, it's not it's not deviating so far away because uh, again, it gets back to the value thing. What's the value that it brings back to the organization? And have that that team be 
you know, operating in its in a silo for a bit before it it, it pushes something that that new product over to the uh, uh, portfolio teams. Well, and the capability mapping is going to come into play as well, right? Because it's not just hey, here's this cool thing, let's kill the boot and have a new product, but. If we have the new product, can we actually do anything with this product? Do we have the ability to build it and run it? Yeah, it's definition. And there's, there's a couple of things that companies have to do when they're, when they're creating those innovations labs. Is, is they're, they're, they have to define what innovations means to them. You know, because in, innovation is, again, it's, it's another one of those terms. Like MVP like val- and pivot. Like MVP and pivot. <laughs> or agile. Or agile and value and feature <laughs> right. and all of these things that – that, that people don't collectively understand. And so if that team has to have alignment to what it means to be innovative, yeah. and they also have to have a, a, the definition of, of what the roadmap looks like. Yeah. If, you know, they, we, we can't deviate too far from those things because they, they have to intersect at some point. But it's almost like there's I, I agree with everything you're saying. It just feels like there is a a gray area that maybe as you know, in terms of business and all these transformational things, we haven't really figured out how to quantify how to go about doing it. Or maybe it's just this subtle dance thing that we have to get used to. But there's gray in there. There's a lot of gray. There sure is. Yeah. There's there's a lot of room for interpretation. There's a lot of gray areas. There's a lot of of you know, it, not all of this is going to be concrete and solid. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a uh, it's it's creamy bed sheets, Dave. Okay. <laughs> all right. You mentioned crappy bed. Yeah, I, I whatever. Oh, I'm gonna go with okay. Yes. So so when you go into an organization, and I'm assuming you're trying to help them sort this out, but how much of this is? And this is just me asking this, but how much of it is like a tactical, like this is the, these are the things you have to change from the day-to-day behavioral stuff. And this is the cultural stuff that is going to completely twist you up as soon as you get the other thing down. Well, it's, it's, uh, so you're, you're the question you're asking, like, me which is, is the hardest part, which should they expect? Like when you walk in the door, should they be expecting, Oh, Russ is going to come in and he's going to make us do a bunch of stuff different or Russ is going to come in. He's going to ask us to change a few things and then he's going to mess with our heads for a while. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, my typical engagement is coming in and making a few adjustments okay. and let and letting people soak that in and letting people get comfortable with it and letting people grow the secret to transformation is not is not trying to turn the ship that massive Titanic, you know, immediately. You, you, it's just not going to happen. Change, people don't absorb change that quickly. So you have to come at it from the perspective that I'm going to create clarity and I'm going to stop there. And next, I'm going to define teams and accountability, and then we're going to start to show measurable progress. And by the way we can start to think about being innovative. But all of these things take a lot of time for even, even medium to small organizations. Their operating models just don't typically accommodate making a lot of change very quickly. They want it. Everybody wants to be innovative and fandangled. But it's, it's, all, it's all just talk. You know, it can't, it can't so happen. It's almost like... 
and maybe at some point we'll we'll get to this stage, but like we should be tracking the velocity of our of our ability to adopt or accept change and figuring out like a whip limit for something akin to whip limit for how much behavioral and cultural change you can have in play at one time. Yeah. Because there's tolerance levels. And at certain point that, I mean, they're going to come in and say, yeah, just flip the switch, but you can't, I mean, we know, we know that you can't, but I mean, I guess that's sort of the, the part of the art of it is figuring out how, how hard to push, how fast can you push it, make, try to make it go without having the wheels fall off. That's right. There's, there's a threshold for how much change is, is palatable to any organization. My current client, they are, they, they are very, very slow to move. And so we went at it with that approach as we said, we're going to just, we're going to, we're going to get this to great and, and we're going to then tackle the next thing. And, you know, it's been six weeks there and we've seen so much groundswell from senior leaders and other teams are coming around. They're saying, I want to do what you guys are doing. Why? Because we just tackle the clarity thing. And my gosh, you guys have a clear backlog on what your what your what your your work is that you're doing for the next six months. Yeah, and so it becomes you know it's a, it's a groundswell. So you think that the longer the the more self propelling it becomes, the the greater the capacity for that change may become. Yeah, absolutely. And I and and guess what? If I were to walk away tomorrow, if my current client were to come to me and say. We just, you know, we don't have any more funding and they, they do from time to time. And you, you, you walk out and you go to the next client. I guarantee you that if I went back in a year, that delivery team that I'm working with at that client would still be moving cards on a wall because it works so successfully for them. It's something now that's ingrained into them. And if they adopt nothing else, I guarantee they'll be doing that. That's awesome. I mean, and that's and that's not always the case. A lot of places, when the coach leaves, they switch right back. They just wait oh, for you to get out. They fall right back. Yeah, that's yeah. very cool. It's like uh, it's like the guitar mummy analogy that I that I talk about, and I, I'm sure you've heard it too. But it it takes time for that for the glue of of the of that guitar and to become wooden, right, and to be congealed. And so, so the the coaching model is that wrap around around the process and the methodology to help it, to help change stick. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Thank you very much for this. So if people want to track you down, obviously they can go to the leading agile website. Yeah. You can find me at the leading agile website. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and you can reach me at Russ, R U S S dot P N a at leading Cool, and I'll make sure to include links for all this. Man, thank you very much for doing this. This probably won't go up until after the new year, but have a very happy New Year's Eve. You too, man. I'll talk to you soon. Cool, thanks. All right, bye.